On this episode of Tips from the Top Floor, Colin from Scotland has a tilt-shift question and Darren disagrees with what I said on the last episode and I agree that he's correct disagreeing, but in the end I think we all agree. It's complicated. This is Tips from the Top Floor 865 for May the 16th, 2019. Tips from the top, from the top floor, tips from the top, all right. Hey, and welcome. It's Chris Marquardt. You're listening to Tips from the Top Floor. And uh, let's get started right away. A quick announcement. If you <laughs> if you think one Chris is not enough, there is a second location that I've just showed up. It's a guest appearance on the Latitude Photography Podcast. I was interviewed by Brent Bergham. And uh, I will link to that in the show notes. We talked about creativity. We talked about photo composition. We talked about design principles. And I really like like how this came out. So go check this out. Um, also, the casting for the future of photography for, for the third voice uh, on the show is still ongoing until the end of this month, uh, May 2019. And uh, this is just a quick thank you to all of you who have sent in audience, uh, audition mail. Keep them coming. We are still looking for that new voice and a new perspective on the show. Uh, and that's in addition to Adrian and myself. We're not looking for someone to replace us, right? Rather, we're looking for someone to complement the two, these, these two middle-aged white dudes that we are. So if you think... You might be able to help us achieve a bit more balance than this is for you. And uh, the link to that is at thefuturephotography.com slash casting. And of course, I'll also link that in the show notes. Almost done with the housekeeping. Uh, just uh, one more thing, um, because I've been working so hard on this, on the 2020 photo tours um, there's a new one. Um, told you last episode, we have February, Lake Baikal, going back to the Big Ice Journey, March, Ethiopia, uh, visiting the tribes in Omo Valley. April 2020, Bhutan, Land of the Thunder Dragon, Kingdom of Happiness. All three have a brand new itinerary. So they are really exciting. I'm happy how they are going to turn out. And we've just added one more. And that one is for the second half of 2020 that I'm very excited about because we'll go to Cappadocia, Cappadocia, which is in Turkey. Now, if you haven't heard of Cappadocia, it's it's this pretty mind-blowing landscape and, uh, and, and, and just a cultural experience with visuals that are out of this world. Um, like here's some of the photography that we'll do there. We'll have access to 300 wild horses and horsemen at sunrise with um, kicking up a lot of dust, which is just visually really amazing. Uh, Cappadocia is also known for its its hot air balloons, of all things. Uh, just imagine, like, taking a photo of, I don't know, 20 hot air balloons going up at sunrise over, over this breathtaking landscape and a herd of wild horses, which is pretty surreal stuff. But, uh, yeah, those photos are from a different planet um they also have what they, they call fairy chimneys which is like a rock structure crazy rock structures that look let look amazing um especially if you do like a night a night shot uh of the of a of a sky the night sky behind the uh, silhouettes of those for example 
uh, we'll have opportunities to do that. There are there's a cave hotel. We'll spend a few nights in a in a cave hotel, and there are underground cities carved out of rocks. Uh, well, actually, you won't have to imagine what this looks like because I have photos online. Check out the photos on the website, uh, discoverthetopfloor.com, tfttf.com/slash/cappadocia2020, and that is linked in the show notes. So let's go and dive right in. Hey, Chris, this is Darren Greer. I just wanted to follow up and potentially disagree with your response to Bernie on how to track metadata for his project on scans of grave information. Depending on his end use case, he may actually want to embed the metadata. For example, if he wants to share these images with other online sites so that people can search for grave information for their ancestors, genealogy-based searches like Ancestry.com or FamilySearch.org, you might want that metadata to follow the photo as opposed to stay in the digital asset management system. He could always, I guess, do some sort of export from his digital asset management system and include the metadata on export, but that'd be something you'd have to investigate to see if it's possible and to see if that solves his use case. Either way, I think we'd need a little bit more information about the end use case of the photos that he's scanning in order to determine what the best method is. Okay, um, thanks, Darren. This is a comment on the last episode, uh, 864. So if you want to listen up on that. Um, Darren, I 100% agree with your disagreement. <laughs> no, no, seriously, maybe I just wasn't clear enough. Um, of course, we need metadata to travel with the photos as much as possible because otherwise you are always locked into using specific systems and so on and and the metadata can most of that metadata iptc and exif data is part of the photo anyway iptc data can be embedded in most photo formats so yeah that is the way to go um by all means do that but Here's here's the but. I think this should happen only on export from the content management system. I think that's what makes most sense. There must be, in my opinion, there must be a place that we call the truth, which is the place where all the data is managed. Everything comes together. Um, I guess I know there are decentralized systems for other things. Just think of like GitHub, for example. Git is one of those systems, a version management system. I'm not sure there's something like that for photo management. So there must be some some central place which is the place that holds the truth and nothing but the truth so uh, my personal use case is with lightroom again th not advertising it i'm i have my critique when it comes to lightroom but um it holds all the metadata in a database all together with my photos and and then i can edit the iptc data the the i don't know stuff like title caption contact information, keywords, and so on. And that is all in the database and only on export. Only when I when it leaves Lightroom to be used somewhere, only then will I make the decision if I want to embed the metadata and which metadata I want to export in, in, in the picture, bake into the photos. Um, and I, this really depends on the case. Maybe I post something on the web and and I want to minimize that data, you know, just, just keep my contact and copyright information in there. Or I export something to, I don't know, a stock, a stock photography site. And then the keywords are really important in that context, right? I want to make sure people can find pictures of, I don't know, horses and Cappadocia and so on. So I will export those with the photo 
embed them in the photo so the stock site can then extract them from the photo and I won't have to type them again. So yeah, this is really, uh, I think, the use case. And and I do this for virtually everything. Um, I, I go so far as to not keep copies of the photos in an exported state anywhere. I will, at least most of the time, I will export something for a specific purpose when I need it and then let's say i want to send some i want i want to send a portfolio to a client i don't have a bunch of portfolios lying around on my system i will i have a, a collection of portfolio photos and then i open that collection and i export it as a slideshow to pdf straight into my email and then this is the only place that exists and the rest just the pictures are still in my database so i do not accumulate uh, external photos that have that have metadata embedded in them and that metadata may cha- might change over time so I, I want fresh exports. I know a lot of people look at this from a different perspective and they want they want to be on a safe side and have stuff exported and ready. And I can understand that because nowadays when we look at the the whole the whole subscription system for software, especially what uh, Adobe is doing, that can be scary, right? What happens if Adobe goes away? Now, what happens is that that um, just just imagine Adobe would decide just with like from from just within a minute from now would decide we're not going to support Lightroom anymore. That means you will still have Lightroom and you can still export everything. What happens if your license runs out? Well, Adobe has uh, has the functionality built in even if you stop paying your creative cloud license so that you can always export your photos from it and so i'm not too worried about that i use that but yeah but to come back to the question so yes in my opinion depending on the case on the use case metadata should of course travel with the photo but unless there are like really good centralized systems on the market that i don't know about your best bet is to keep a master database somewhere that holds all this data together and in an editable form. All right, let me say a quick thank you to this week's sponsor, HoneyBook. If you run a creative business, you know how to make your clients look good. But if you're struggling with tedious administrative tasks, let HoneyBook do the work and make you look good. HoneyBook is an online business management tool that lets you control your client communication, bookings, contracts, and invoices all in one place. If you're a creative freelancer or small business owner, HoneyBook helps you stay organized with custom templates and automation tools. You can even use HoneyBook to consolidate services you already use like QuickBooks, Google Suite and MailChimp. Over 75,000 photographers, designers, event professionals and other entrepreneurs have saved hundreds to thousands of hours a year. It's your business just better with HoneyBook. Right now, HoneyBook is offering you the TFTTF listeners 50, that's 50% off your first year with promo code TOPFLOOR. Payment is flexible and this promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. Go to honeybook.com and use promo code TOPFLOOR for 50% off your first year, get paid faster and work smarter with honeybook.com promo code TOPFLOOR. 
This week's episode is also supported by Nation's Photo Lab. This spring, refresh your wall decor and get 15% off with Nation's Photo Lab. Start with classic photo prints made by photographers for photographers, available in more than 60 sizes, so you can print as small as 3.5 by 5 or as large as 30 by 45. If you have photos that are more akin to museum quality artwork, print on canvas to create a scene of decor that belongs in the Louvre. To ensure your images look as vibrant as can be, try their best-selling metal prints. Or, if you have more of a down-to-earth vibe, put your images on wood print wraps. Print it on real wood for a rustic, unique look. Don't limit your wall decor dreams. Create a gallery wall the way you imagine by mixing and matching different wall art mediums. Ordering online is easy, so you can turn your Instagrams into instant memories that will last for years to come. Make every moment matter. Try Nations Photo Lab today and head to nationsphotolab.com and use code TOPFLOOR for 15% off your order. That's nationsphotolab.com, code TOPFLOOR. And I thank them for the support. Hi, Chris. It's uh, Colin from Scotland. Um, I've got a question regarding tilt shifts. Um, I, I seem to recall you you were interviewed on um, another podcast uh, a while back and you'd said you were getting, a, like a, I think it was a Zenit tilt shift uh, shipped out to you. Um, and I was basically wondering how that had turned out uh, because uh, I've got the, an adapter from a Canon that allows it to take the M42 mounts. I've been playing about with them and I quite like the results. And I've I've seen recently uh, an M42 mount tilt shift lenses uh, for about the same price as it would cost me to hire uh, the the Canon tilt shifts for a couple of days. I was just wondering if it was worth the, the price of buying the, M4, the older M42 mount lens just to try it out and uh, and see if it would work. Uh, just to get your thoughts on the matter. Uh, thank you very much and, and really enjoy your show. Thanks, Colin. Um, th- I didn't uh, I didn't get a Zenith or anything um, in terms of tilt shift lenses. Um, I probably must have misunderstood something. Um, I shoot the, the Canon ones, but um, <laughs> the secret is I never bought one of those new. I always bought them used because yeah, they are they are pricey. They are pricey, <laughs> but um, so, so I can't really tell you how those third-party tilt-shift lenses work, how well they work. I haven't really gotten my hands on those, um, but I I heard some good things about them. That's all I can say, but don't even know which one specifically. Um, so I, I cannot tell you about the quality differences or of the different approaches, but um, let's look at some of those alternatives anyway, at least from a from a theoretical point of view, which might already kind of be enough for you to be uh, to base a decision on. Uh, because to understand those lenses, we'll have to take a quick look at the tilt and the shift separately because they are two different things. Uh, and uh, just to be sure, I, I'm not going to go really that deep here. I've previously talked about tilt-shift here on the show several times. For example, way back in episode 386, um, I'll link that in the show notes. But suffice to say, uh, a tilt lens tilts the entire lens, all the glass elements, everything in front of the sensor um, in different directions, while a shift lens shifts the entire lens up and down or sideways. Uh, And the effects are quite different of those two things. With the tilt, you can influence the focal plane. 
So you can tilt that in space. And you can do this with pretty much any lens. As long as you have a mechanism that will allow you to tilt the lens. And that could be an adapter. It would be a tilt adapter. And with the shift, what you do is, or what the lenses do is, they will shift the image circle. Which sideways, just in parallel, sideways, up, up and down. Um, normally those image circles for a regular lens are just big enough to cover the sensor. So if you would adapt, let's say you have a Micro Four Thirds camera and you take a Micro Four Thirds lens and put this on a shift thing and shift it around, you'd see that the image circle would be, the edge of the image circle would be visible when, when you shift. But you, what you can do is you can adapt a, um, a bigger lens with a shift adapter. The lens needs to, just the image circle needs to be bigger, right? So you can take, let's say, a full-frame lens on a Micro Four Thirds camera, use a shift adapter, and you'll be golden. It'll do the job. And if the lens, if the lens you want to adapt is a good lens, then it will also be a good shift lens, or a good tilt lens, depending on the adapter. Uh, if you look at the Canon t tilt shift lenses, which I love, I again I'm happy with them, but from a lens point of view, they're not really that different from other lenses. They own, the only big difference is they have a bigger image circle. So in case of Canon, they can cover a medium format sensor. So they project a bigger image circle into the camera, which means they have wiggle room to shift them side by side, up and down. And they have the mechanics for shifting or tilting. And uh, they have manual focus. Yep, these are all manual lenses. But other than that, they are the same as regular lenses. So you can take a regular lens and adapt it. It just has to have a big enough image circle. Now, you will probably not find an adapter, at least I don't know of any, that does both the tilt and the shift. That's just mechanically quite expensive to make and to make good. So those mechanics are one of the reasons for the higher prices of those lenses. But in general, if you, if you adapt a bad lens, <laughs> the adapter won't make the lens any better. But if you adapt a lens that has good image quality in general... It will have that same good image quality on a tilt or on a shift adapter. And by the way, if you ever wondered why tilt shift lenses cost so much, I recently came across an interesting video just about that. Um, just, just have a quick listen to this little snippet. Now, tilt shift lenses are expensive for three main reasons. Number one, they need to have very complex mechanical parts that are very difficult to manufacture. Number two, they need to be made with a larger than usual image circle. And number three comes down to economies of scale. And uh, he goes into some detail on those three points. Uh, definitely worth watching. Lots to learn from that. Also, just a general kind of overview of what those lenses do. So, yeah, definitely uh, worth watching. I'll link the video in the show notes. All right, that was it for this episode of Tips from the Top Floor. Thanks again to Honeybook and Nations Photo Lab for supporting this episode. And here's a quick note. I will have to skip next week's episode because I'll spend the week with 29 crazy photographers on our annual Abbey workshop in southern Germany. And I just, I just know I won't have a single minute to spare doing that. So uh, my apologies, but I'll be back the week after that. Uh, maybe that's a good time to grab your camera and go out and take great photos, right? Mm.
If you like this episode, you can buy me a coffee at tfttf.com slash coffee or consider joining the ever-growing list of amazing patrons over at tfttf. Let me try that one again. tfttf.com slash Patreon. Again, here are the wonderful people who are the reason this episode exists. And as a token of my appreciation, here is in the order of support tiers all the patrons who supported this episode. Jeremy Kirvin, Jeffrey Block, Alex Crozo, Bernard Goldback, Daniel Hertrich, Doug Gabbard, Ken Davidson, Marco Binder, Matt Armstead, Peter Morrow, Scott Wurzel, Tom Stewart, Aaron Pinasov, Stu Silverman, Alan Bruce Horn, Andrew B., Anthony Bartek Boski, Chadley Clark, Chandra, Christopher Greenhill, Dave Smith, David Recht, Fran Francesco Scaglioni, Greg Anastasi, Holger Krupp, James Trimble, Jim Caldwell, John Donahue, Josh Hopko, Jasmine Amar, uh, Ken Berrien, Kyle Nishioka, Marvin Aaron, Michael Grunert, Peter M. Spradling, Rob Duber, Robert Goschko, Ryan Gilio, Sina Farad, Steven Sandler, Thomas Nielsen, Trevor Palmer and Woody. And I thank you all so much. And if you want to hear your name here on the show, consider joining this illustrious group of awesome people at tfttf.com slash Patreon. Thank you so much. Music for the show by Jeff Smith, Silent Partner, Hans-Peter Kagerud, Publishing and Slack Challenges by Release Pixie, Matt Ravsitar, Armstead Slack Invitations by Chief Invitation Officer, CIO Rusty Russ. The link to get on the Slack is in the show notes. My name is Chris Marquardt. You'll find me on social media at Chris, M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T. Now go out and take amazing photos. Share them with the world. Be nice to each other. And happy shooting. <laughs>